Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So ends the poem, The Road Not Taken, by Robert Frost. Even those who are not very familiar with the poetry of the English language probably have heard this poem or seen it at TJ Maxx or Hobby Lobby in one of those little frames. <laughs> Two roads diverging, a choice being made. Which road or path will I take? We have in this famous poem, in these beautiful words that are crafted, a choice. I think all of us, when we hear a poem like this, think back and reflect on our own lives and consider some of the choices that we've made. We think of the decisions that we've labored over, or perhaps the decisions that have marked our lives for good or for bad. Decisions that we've made that we're happy about, or others that we look back upon and regret. We've been thinking about wisdom together for some months now as we've been studying the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And the book now brings us, at the end of these first nine chapters here in Proverbs chapter 9, to a fork in the road. Two roads that divide. And the book now brings us to a choice. Two options. One decision. And a black and white separation. A picture that divides the world into ultimately two kinds of people. The wise and the foolish. Or in our passage, the wise and the scoffer. And as God makes clear for us here in our passage in His Word, we must choose. You and I must choose. Because as much gray as there is in this world, at the end of the day and at the end of time, there will only ever be two kinds of people in this world. The wise or the foolish. Who are you? Who will you be? All of this depends on one choice. The choice that you make between these two options. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 9. And we're going to read together this chapter as we begin. If you're taking notes this morning, as we consider our chapter here in Proverbs chapter 9, our main point is this. Our main point is this. The wise repent, fear the Lord, and live. But scoffers reject wisdom and die. The wise repent, fear the Lord, and live. But scoffers reject wisdom and die. And as we're looking at the passage this morning, We'll be looking at it in two points. Point number one. Point number one, two choices. Point number two, two people. Point number one, two choices. And point number two, two people. It's my prayer this morning as we consider this weighty decision that all of us would have wisdom to see the right choice. I'll be reading Proverbs chapter 9 for us as we begin. This is God's Word. 
wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman, folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. May God bless the reading of His Word. As we've been studying in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is God's education course in true wisdom. God's education course in true wisdom. We've been learning together from... Chapters 1, now to the end of this section, chapter 9, from the father who's been speaking to his sons and encouraging his young sons to listen to wisdom. We've been hearing an instruction from a father who is, who is teaching over and over and over again the things that are of most importance to his young son, knowing that his young son is foolish at heart and simple. He's inexperienced. He doesn't know the ways of the world. He doesn't realize the danger that is out there. And so his father and even his mother are teaching lessons to their young son. And we have been able to learn from these lessons. But here at the end of this first section in the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 to 9, Wisdom has now brought us to a choice that must be made and a distinction, a fork in the road. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to break the text a little differently than we normally do. I want to look together in point number one, two choices at verses one to six and verses 13 to 18. And comparing these two choices, the two offers, the offer of woman, of woman wisdom in verses one to six. And the offer of woman folly or woman foolishness in verses 13 to 18. And then the middle section will then be our point number two, to people. What we see here is that this choice is coming down to two invitations. These two choices is a choice between wisdom and foolishness. But the wise father has 
come up with creative illustrations for making these decisions clear for his son. And what he's done is personified wisdom and foolishness as these two women. The woman wisdom, we see in verses 1-6, to is the kind of life-giving woman that we can see in the picture of a mother or of a wife. A woman who gives life as a a, a mom gives birth to a child. A, a, A woman who sustains life as a mother sustains the life of a little baby by feeding the baby, caring for it, taking care of it, preserving that life. Wisdom is described in this personified form of of a woman wisdom. Here she is compared to a woman folly who is the picture of of a prostitute or perhaps of a, a goddess, one of the idols of the nation, of the nations around Israel. The nations around Israel worshipped idols, and many of the idols that they worshipped, some were male, some were female. Many were female, and related to the worship of these female idols was was sexual immorality and prostitution related to the temple. And so we have now the woman folly being described in such a way, the kind of woman who doesn't give life but takes life away, the kind of woman that would lead a young man astray. Look at look at the, the two choices the two women that are compared in verses 1 to 6 and 13 to 18 i'm going to be making connections here so look with me there at the at the passage at proverbs chapter 9 you see that there are ultimately here two women verse 1 wisdom has built her house and verse 13 the woman folly is loud you see that then there are two invitations that are taking place here. You see in 9, 1-6, to she's built her house. She has hewn or carved seven pillars, which is it seems a picture of a house or of a temple that she has built. She's also prepared a meal. There is there... Verse 2, she's slaughtered her beasts. Whether this is a connection with the, the pillars being of a temple and this being sacrifices, perhaps a, a picture of God's temple, or whether this is simply a meal that she's preparing. Either way, there is an invitation to a feast. She's slaughtering her beasts. She's mixing her wine, verse 2. She's set her table out. And then in comparison with that feast is the feast of woman folly. Look at verse 13. She's seductive. She has a house. She's also taken a seat at the highest places of the town. And the, the meal that she's offering, verse 17, isn't a good meal, a wholesome meal, a meal that will sustain, but she's offering, verse 17, stolen water, and bread eaten in secret. She's offering the fleeting pleasures of sin. We not only have two meals, we have two invitations. Notice that the invitations are identical. Verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Look at the invitation in verse 16. Virtually identical. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says. Which means even though there are these two women, two meals, two invitations, they are after the same person, the simple the foolish, the inexperienced youth. 
you see here that the invitations are after the same people, the same audience, the same person. And they are inviting the same kind of person, this simple person, to listen to them and to go either towards wisdom and towards God or to be led astray onto the path of foolishness. You see, there are two promises that are made here. The promise of wisdom, verse 6, leave your simple ways and live, walk in the way of insight. And the promise in verse 17 of stolen water being sweet and bread eaten in secret being pleasant. The first promise, the promise of wisdom, is a true one, as we saw last week. The words of wisdom are true and trustworthy, but the promise here of of Lady Folly is a lie. It is deceitful. It promises what it cannot deliver. There is, as we saw, one audience member, but there are two end results. In verse 6, we see the promise of life. And in verse 18, we see the end result of death. The grave, Sheol, eternal punishment. Of these two promises, the one distinction that is made is there in verse 6. While Lady Folly offers things she cannot deliver, she doesn't make any demands on the simple person. The one distinction between the two calls is there in verse 6. There is a demand to leave behind your simple ways and live. You see, foolishness doesn't make any demands of us, only promises the fleeting pleasure of sin. But you see that, lady, wisdom makes a demand of us. There are things that we must leave behind. There is a call here in the voice of lady wisdom to repent. This call, this invitation that we see that is being played out here is a call that we may hear in this fallen world in many different voices. These calls, the call of wisdom and the call of foolishness, will be echoed in all kinds of voices all around us. Even today we will hear the call of wisdom and the call of foolishness echoed in the voices of foolish people or in the voice of God and in God's people. This morning, as we're hearing from God's Word, as we've heard it read earlier, as we're hearing it preached now, God is speaking to you and a call is being made, an invitation is being offered. And you have a choice to to be made, even this morning. It is ultimately the most important choice that you could ever make. But like any choice, like any major choice that we make, that choice may be reflected in a lot of smaller decisions. I remember um, deciding to marry my wife. And I've often said, after choosing Christ, it's probably the greatest decision I've ever made, choosing to, to marry Bev. But think of that, that one decision, deciding to marry my wife. Weren't there lots of decisions involved in that? There was the decision to spend time with Bev when we were single people and try to get to know her better. There was the very hard decision of, with shaking hands, calling her and asking if she would go out with me on a date. There was the decision to ask her on a second date. 
the decision to ask her whether she would consider pursuing a relationship with me. There was the decision to invite her to meet my family. The decision to go and meet her family. The decision to ask her dad whether he would give permission for me to marry her. The decision to buy the ring. The decision to get down on one knee and ask her to marry me. The decision to plan a wedding and invite guests. And ultimately, the the decision there on the platform with the minister of making vows and saying till death, do us part. I do. All of these were smaller decisions that led to that ultimate decision of marrying my wife. But even after marrying my wife, there are decisions I make every day to continue to sustain this marriage relationship. Decisions to pursue my wife and not to withdraw from her. To delight in her and not to choose to delight in other women. The decision to invest in our marriage and conversation with her. To delight in our kids and to teach them and train them and even discipline them. I am continuing to decide to pursue this relationship with my wife in all of those decisions in the past and in all of the decisions that I make even today and will continue to make so that this relationship continues to thrive. The same thing is true with this decision of choosing wisdom over foolishness. A decision that ultimately is a decision between choosing God and choosing sin. There are many smaller decisions that we make that are either preparing us to choose God or leading us away from Him. Decisions that we make to listen to wisdom or to reject God's voice. I don't know where you are this morning, but it may be that you are weighing a decision in your own heart and mind today. Some smaller decision that is actually a final decision. A decision of deciding either for God, to delight in Him, to choose to know Him, or to walk away from Him. It may be something that seems small and insignificant, but it is a decision of priority or a decision of value that is putting you on one of these two paths. Either this path, the path of wisdom that leads to God and to life, or this path of foolishness that leads to sin ultimately to death. Rejection by God. I wonder what it is for you this morning. could be something that seems insignificant. Something that seems insignificant like deciding whether to give in to this sin one more time or not. It may be that that decision to give in to that sin one more time is an ultimate decision for you this morning. It may be a decision that seems small and insignificant like valuing your career over your relationship with God or valuing your comfort in this world over trusting and entrusting your life to God. Let me encourage you this morning to make the choice that you will wish you had made on the last day when all of our choices and decisions are made known. This call, the call of wisdom, is a call that is reflected throughout Scripture. There is an invitation by Lady Wisdom here to a feast, to a meal, what ultimately amounts to an intimate relationship with God. 
But this invitation to come and to enjoy fellowship with God is all throughout Scripture. This invitation to come and to eat and to delight in God. You think of Abraham being called in Genesis chapter 12. Arise, leave behind your family. There's a demand. And go to a land that I will show you and I will bless you. You think of the, the, the call to decide between two options, like Joshua at the end of the book of Joshua with God's people who were continuing to give in to idolatry. And he draws a line in the sand and he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Think of the, the invitations that continue throughout Scripture. Isaiah 55 As the prophet calls out to God's people, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. This call of wisdom is then made even more clearly in the voice of Jesus Christ when He came to earth. God become man. God incarnate. Jesus, the God-man, the Messiah of Israel, came and made the same kind of offer. An offer to a feast. In John chapter 7, He stands up in Jerusalem, the city of the Lord. And on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There is an invitation here that is being made by Lady Wisdom. An invitation that is echoed in the voices of God throughout His Word. And it is an invitation to come and find all of your needs and desires satisfied in a relationship with God. The, the gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ is a message of ultimate satisfaction. It is a message of delighting ourselves in God. You see, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you were made by God and for God. You were made to know Him and to walk with Him, to be in a relationship with Him, to delight in Him as your Creator God, to walk before Him in love, to delight in His good and loving rule and authority over you. But the Bible tells us that rather than doing that, that we, in the person of our our parents, Adam and Eve, have rejected God. We have rejected His good and loving authority. We've decided that we didn't want to enjoy Him. We rather wanted to enjoy pleasure on our own, like Lady Folly offers. We wanted to take things for ourselves. We wanted to steal things. We wanted to actually put ourselves on the throne. And the Bible tells us that while we sought to satisfy ourselves with sin and with other things and sought to make ourselves gods, that we've made a mess of life. Rather than being satisfied, we've been left empty. We've been left sick and dying. The message of the Gospel tells us that God, out of His love for us, came to sinners and rebels like us. That He came in the person of Jesus Christ God become man who lived the perfect life that we didn't live, who died on the cross, not because he deserved to die, but he died as a criminal in the place of criminals like you and me. 
who have rebelled against God. And He did this out of His love for us so that our sin could be dealt with, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled and restored to a relationship with God in which we could enjoy Him and His presence forever. Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead three days later, showing His power over sin and death and His ability to offer salvation to any that would repent of our sins and trust in Christ and in Christ alone to save us. But what Christ has prepared for us, as He said to His disciples, is a meal, a feast, a relationship with God forever. He tells His disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. He's gone to to prepare a home. A home for people like us where we can walk with our God and live with Him forever. This voice, this invitation finds its final form in Revelation 19 as John is given a vision of the end of time to another feast and another meal. In Revelation 19, Verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." In verse 9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. You see, there is a feast, a meal, an, an eternal feast and meal that is prepared for those who know God. And it is a feast and a meal at the end of time that will last for all of eternity in which we will be able to enjoy this relationship with God forever. Wisdom makes an offer, as she does in our passage. God makes an offer. And His offer is true. And His delights are truly satisfying. And everything that folly offers you, she can't deliver on it. Every offer of the fleeting pleasure of sin, it cannot satisfy. But there is a choice that has to be made. And the choice is, Who will you listen to? Will you listen to the voice of wisdom or the voice of foolishness? Many of us have memorized Psalm chapter 1, the beginning of the book of Psalms, another wisdom or poetic book. In the book of Psalms chapter 1, there is a divide that also takes place. There is a division between the righteous and the wicked. There's a a difference there between The man who is blessed, verse 1 of Psalm chapter 1. And why is he blessed? Well, because he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. What does that mean? Well, it means blessed is the man who isn't listening to to the voice of foolishness. He doesn't listen to, to wicked and to foolish scoffers. But rather than that, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The passage goes on to describe these two in another uh, metaphor, the metaphor of a tree in comparison with chaff. 
which is wheat or barley that is cut down and then dries up and blows away in a matter of days. No, the, the, the wise, the righteous in Psalm 1 is like a tree that is planted by streams of water and continues year after year to bear fruit and to prosper. And what's the difference in Psalm 1 between the righteous and the wicked? Well, it's the same thing as the difference here in Proverbs chapter 9. The difference is who you listen to, which voice you prioritize, which voice you hold on to as true. The wise are those that listen to God's voice and listen to wisdom. The foolish, the scoffers, are those who reject God's voice and listen to the voice of foolishness. As you consider this decision, do you realize that it actually comes back to perhaps what you're doing right now, this very moment, here in this church service? Are you listening to wisdom or are you tuning out? Are you eager to hear? Are you excited to listen to God's voice or are you bored? The, the offer that is made is made to those that are simple, to those that are inexperienced and foolish, to those that are young and still able to be molded one way or the other, to be influenced for good or for evil. If you're here this morning and you're, you're young, if you're a child or a youth, Do you know that you're making decisions right now that will affect the kind of person you become and that will affect your character? That you are making decisions even now as God's Word is being preached to either tune in or tune out that are going to affect whether you will be the the wise person here who knows God or whether you will be the fool or the scoffer who walks away from God and is rejected by God as we think about application in this section. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to draw near to God by drawing near to His Word. Let me encourage you to prioritize God's Word in your life. We need to do this corporately as we prioritize the Sunday gatherings. This is an opportunity for us to sit under the preaching of God's Word, to be fed by God and to hear His voice to have our lives reoriented as we hear the truth, to find out the things from the week before that need to be cut out or set aside, or or the voices that need to be tuned out in our lives. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to prioritize these gatherings where we are together sitting under God's Word and being fed and taught, where we can, through the preaching of His Word, hear God's voice. Let me encourage you as well to be prioritizing the the meal that is the Lord's Supper, that is a picture of that final meal that we will have on that last day. Let me encourage you to prioritize not only Sunday mornings, but our Sunday evening services. As we in that family gathering where we sit around the table together and drink of the, the bread and of the cup as Christ did at the Last Supper with His disciples, let me encourage you to prioritize that meal, realizing that in the eating of the meal, we are preparing ourselves for that final meal, that, that marriage supper of the Lamb, as we delight in all that we have in common together with Christ. Let me encourage you as well, as you make this choice, to be prioritizing God's Word privately. To be prioritizing God's Word daily, realizing that it isn't just once a week 
that you need to hear God's Word, but it's every day that you need to hear His voice. I mean, encourage you to begin your day by opening God's Word and in prayer, drawing near to Him, listening to Him, tuning your ear to delight in the truth, evaluating the day ahead based on the truth that you read in God's Word. Let me encourage you as well to be pursuing relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ where you can open up God's Word and sit around God's Word together and hear it. Talk about the areas in which you need to grow and need to be challenged. As we, as we consider this choice, let me encourage you if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who knows Christ and has begun following Him, do you know today you can make that choice? While there are small choices that may lead to that final choice, there is one choice similar to, to me getting up on the stage with a minister and covenanting with my wife. There is a day that the Bible talks about in which any who know God will have repented and believed in the message, the gospel. Today may be that day for you. The day where you repent of your sins and trust in Christ and begin on this path that leads to life. Let me encourage you, if you do not know Christ, today can be for you the day of salvation. That's point number one, two choices. Point number two, two people. Point number two, two people. We'll be looking at our middle section, verses 7 to 12. Verses 7 to 12 is put in the middle of chapter 9 for a reason. We have the two offers at the beginning and at the end, and the two are being compared, but in the middle is now two people, two kinds of people being compared. Just as there are two options or two choices, those that choose one or the other are being divided into two kinds of people. And they're described here primarily with words, the wise and the scoffer the wise, and the scoffer. Now what's interesting about our section here is that it's similar to almost the rest of the book in that you have actual Proverbs happening here. See, most of the book of Proverbs is what we think of when we think of chapter 10 and following. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. So the rest of the book of Proverbs, from 10 all the way to the end, chapter 31, are these actual proverbs, that is, these pithy capsules of wisdom that are preserved for us. All of us have proverbs in our cultures, whether they are Chinese proverbs that come from Confucius, or whether they are American English proverbs that are these little words of wisdom that we say to one another. But this is what the, the book is mostly remembered for, is these pithy sayings that are just collected together and teach us about this world that God has made, about God Himself, and about the many decisions that we have to make in life that will help us be more wise. Well, these are in the middle of our section, in chapter 9, verses 7 to 12. Almost all of these are these little proverbs, but they're put here for a reason. These little pithy sayings are put here in the middle of the chapter to help us realize we are going to become one of two kinds of people, either wise or we will be scoffers. Look at verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, 
And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Look at verse 8 as well. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. You see what's happening here. Scoffer is being compared with the wise person. But it's in the form of these proverbs, that is, these wise sayings that gives generally true statements about the kind of world that we live in. These proverbs here are giving us practical advice about how to relate to scoffers so that we can understand who a scoffer is and what he's like so we can be sure that we don't become such a person. So what's the advice in verses 7 and 8? Well, the advice is that there are people in this world who reject the truth and who reject God. And if you attempt to correct such a person, they are going to mock you and they are going to hate you and they are going to attack and abuse you. These characters that are talked about in the book of Proverbs are talked about in something of uh, caricatures. That is, they're, they're larger than life. And they're talked about in, in their extreme form so that we can grasp something of what it's like in smaller forms. So here we have someone who is a scoffer. And the scoffer in the book of Proverbs is on one extreme end of the continuum between wisdom and foolishness. On the other side is the wise person. In the middle is the simple or inexperienced person. And this person has to make a choice between heading in one direction, the direction of foolishness, and the other, the direction of wisdom. But the person who is simple is going to end up as one or the other. But the scoffer on the far end of that continuum is the person who not only doesn't listen to God, but he rejects God. And not only does he reject God, he rejects the truth and hates it. And not only does he hate the truth, he hates anyone who would attempt to show him the truth or point him to the truth. And so here in these Proverbs, verses 7 and 8, is advice for us as those who know God to know how to navigate a world in which there are people that are scoffers. I think all of us could perhaps think of someone that we've met that is in this category. Someone who is so proud, so arrogant, believes that they know better and know it all, and who abuses anyone that would seek to know God, seek to know the truth, or seek to encourage others by telling them about God. You see, there are scoffers in this world, those that hate God. The Bible is clear. We aren't all basically good. We are all, according to God's Word, basically sinful. All of us at heart are born into this world as sinners, born rejecting God. But all of us are on a path and we're heading in one of two directions. And that path may get to that extreme form before we die and before we stand before God and give an account. Or we may be somewhere in between a fool and a scoffer. Or in between a simple person and a wise person. But that is the trajectory. That is the the direction that we're heading in. And all of us may be somewhere on on that continuum at, at different points. But we need to be able to look at the scoffer and realize, well, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. So how do I make sure that I'm not putting myself on the course, the trajectory that leads to such scoffing? 
Well, you know, there are small ways that we may be listening to the voice of foolishness that is leading us down that path. You know, it may begin small. It may begin seemingly insignificant, just like the decisions we talked about earlier. It may be for you that you are beginning to be a scoffer simply by considering yourself wise, smarter than others, simply by growing in pride. It may be that you are growing in pride in such a way that you are actually, whether you realize it or not, putting God at arm's length because you believe you know better. Remember how Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember how he invited them to sin. Remember that that invitation, that voice that Satan gave them. What did he do when he began? Did God really say? It doesn't sound that bad, does it? He's just trying to figure things out, right? He's just trying to make sure that he understands the truth. Did God really say? But think of that. Think of that incremental change rather than delighting in God's Word and obeying it eagerly. Now all of a sudden we are evaluating God. It sounds sounds reasonable. Did God really say that? But what are we doing now? We're putting ourselves on the the throne. We're putting ourselves on that judge's seat. And we are the ones deciding what is good and what is bad, what is true and what is false. And we are putting God on the stand and making Him prove whether or not He deserves to be followed or not. You realize that path that you're heading down when you begin to entertain thoughts like that. Is it really that important? Yes, I know God said it, but is it really that important? in the scheme of things. I mean, I'm still trusting in Christ for my salvation, but I know God said this, but is it really that important in the scheme of things? Do you know that you're putting yourselves on a course to become this scoffer where you reject the truth and you mock it and you mock those that hold out the truth to you? Look at verse 9 and following. In contrast with the scoffer, you now have the wise man being compared. And you see the difference between the scoffer and the wise person, verse 9. But it's also in the form of a proverb. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So the scoffer abuses those that tell him the truth, but the wise person listens and increases in learning. In other words, the wise person is not the person who knows it all or who thinks he knows it all. That's the fool. The wise person is the humble person who listens. He doesn't know it all, but he has the right posture and the right attitude towards the truth. He's willing to learn from God. He's willing to be corrected by God. He's even willing to be corrected by God's people. This is the difference between the wise person and the scoffer. Do you know that there are decisions you can be making today that are keeping you on that path and that continuum towards being wiser and wiser still? And it begins with humility. It begins with trusting humbly in God and in His Word. And actually, it begins with being willing and even eager to being corrected. Think of that. The difference between the scoffer and the wise person is whether or not you are excited about being corrected. I don't know anyone who is naturally excited about being corrected. 
I don't know anyone who's excited to be told you are wrong or you are wrong. I talked last week about my kids learning to say no so early. Or heard parents say, my kids don't like me to say no. Well, I don't like hearing the word no. And I don't like being corrected either. But you know, the difference between becoming a wise person and becoming a scoffer who rejects God is whether or not you're willing to be corrected. Whether or not you're willing to be told you are wrong. But that's what the gospel does. The gospel comes to us and it says to us, you are wrong, but it's okay. You can correct course. You are on the wrong path, but it's okay. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to bring us back to God. But if we are to be, if we are to, to become this wise person and to enter this path, we must be willing to be corrected. We must be humble enough to be told we're wrong and embrace it. All of this amounts in verse 10 to what is being repeated from back in chapter 1 and verse 7. There we have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here it's repeated again. So we have at the beginning of Proverbs 1 and now the end of Proverbs 9 as uh, almost like brackets on either end of this section. What does wisdom ultimately amount to? Fearing the Lord. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And then the promises of those of us who do fear the Lord. Your days being multiplied, years being added to your life. See, all of this wisdom amounts to this. Whether or not we fear God or not. Whether or not we listen to God and fear Him by responding rightly to His Word and to the truth that He gives to us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom here. That is, all of wisdom begins with whether or not we acknowledge God for who He is. Acknowledge our sin as a great offense to Him and have turned from our sins and trusted in Christ. And those of us who are fearing the Lord and those of us who will become wise are those that are now living our lives before Him in fear and love, delighting in Him and respecting Him in all that we do, delighting in living a life that is pleasing to Him. But do you realize, verse 12, this verse 12, that all of us are ultimately responsible for the choice that we make. Look at verse 12. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Here we have an interesting verse. A verse that's saying, if you are wise, it isn't just so that you can be wise for others. And if you scoff, it really isn't about the people that you abuse or mock. If you are wise, you will be the ultimate one who receives the reward for being wise. If you are a scoffer, you are the one who will ultimately be abused. That is, if you are wise or foolish, if you're wise or a scoffer, you and you alone will be the one to deal with this decision. I wonder where you are this morning as you consider this offer, as you consider these two choices, as you consider these two kinds of people. Which do you want to be? Which choice do you want to make? And what are the choices that you're making today that's going to lead you to one or to the other, to heaven or to hell? We encourage you, all of us, to humble ourselves, to listen to God's correction 
and to find our satisfaction in God and in God alone. I read a, a quote this week about how we can tend to think of the call to follow Christ as a bunch of options that we can make. We can think of it as something we can pick and choose. That is, that there's aspects of the Gospel or of God or of Jesus that we can just take some bits and pieces from rather than taking the whole thing. D.A. Carson put it this way. This is a quote. I would like to buy about $3 worth of Gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much Gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell bad. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of the gospel, please. We can tend to think of it this way, that God offers a lot of things and we can pick and choose which of the things that God offers that we will take and others that we will reject. Do you realize that all of us are making a choice, but the choice isn't bits and pieces. It's one or the other. It's God or sin. It's heaven or hell. And all of us must make this choice. All of us are making this choice. Let me encourage you. Choose wisdom. Reject foolishness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.